seconds flat. Give me up. Put it down, put it This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hi again, friends. Welcome to Mile 89 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It's great to be back with you. Got Benjamin here tonight. Benjamin, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. Uh, I'm excited to be back on the show. Yeah, two in a row. This is uh, starting to feel like a little bit of a streak here. Are you now a regular contributor, co-host once again? I think so. Uh, I definitely need to start training to be Cosmo in an arm wrestle to regain my title. But, you know, I'm comfortable holding hands and just sharing and we could train all our lives and never touch him in that. We need to get all three of us together for an episode. I think that, could be, that yes. could be good fun. Cosmo is a busy man right now with, with family and work and life happening. And I apparently have so little responsibility that I've spent two weeks just driving across the country aimlessly and stopping to run at various places. We will get into my tales from the road on the way to and from the Olympic trials in Eugene, Oregon, which were an incredible experience with countless new 2021 world-leading performances. We had all-time trials meet records. We even had a new world record in the women's 400-meter hurdles. So we're going to break down the races, events that we thought uh, were the most exciting, surprising, and maybe that carry over to new storylines for the Olympics. But first, Benji, also this past weekend, we had the crown jewel of American ultra running in California, the Western States 100-mile endurance run, and a previous guest of the show, our friend Shannon Howell was there, and she had a fantastic performance. So, Ben, could you uh, tell the people a little bit more about Shannon's experience in California and how well she ran? Absolutely. This was the deepest women's race in Western States history. Uh, There were three women who finished in the top 10 overall. Mm. Uh, Shannon ran a brilliant race. Uh, She was very patient. I believe she was as far back as 70-something place early on in the race. She slowly worked her way up to 26th overall. She was the 13th woman across the line and just squeaked under 21 hours and 50 minutes. It's an impressive performance. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if someone offered to give her free shoes after this. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a heck of a run. And congrats to Shannon. Way to move up through the field. Be patient. Really excited and happy for her 26th place, as you said, overall finish at Western States. And once again, hot conditions. It was brutally hot throughout the West, especially the Pacific Northwest this past weekend. We saw it in Oregon as on the final day of competition in Eugene, we had to delay events for six hours as temperatures on the track pushed 110 degrees under an excessive heat warning, stifling weather. But when we finally got around to running again, there were some pretty 
special races that evening. So I'm going to kick it off there. And then Ben, you and I go back and forth with what we thought were some of the biggest moments of the week plus in Oregon. It was not the world record event from that night that I'll start with, but what was really seen as a marquee event with one of the deepest fields we've ever had, the men's 1500 meter final. It is the precocious pup from Oregon, the young gun Cole Hawker is your 1500 meter champ over Olympic gold medalist Matt Centrowitz. Yared Nagus finishes third, also collegiate out of Notre Dame. That means he edges out Craig Ingalls, our friend of the program, who will not be going to Tokyo. Thoughts from that 1500? What a race, Ben. Yeah, it, it was so fun to watch. The biggest takeaway I had from this race is how reminiscent it was of Matthew Centrowitz's first U.S. title against Lagat. He was coming off just winning the NCAA 1500. He didn't have the standard. He made a brilliant tactical move in the final straightaway. The one difference I see is Hawker has like three more gears than Centro had then. Mm. Coach Ben Thomas at Oregon has done a phenomenal job with speed development uh, with his crew this year. We see it in Hawker. We've seen it in Cooper Tier being more of an aerobic monster now, being able to close races lightning quick. I honestly think that Hawker is a dark horse medal threat this summer. Ooh, okay. I'm jump right into it. You, you went in the deep end immediately. That question was out there waiting for us to tackle. So let's go ahead and get into that. I liked your analogy because I immediately thought of Centro's championship as well. The second race I thought of was Centro at the Olympics winning in 2016 where he got the rail and held everyone off and it felt like that was exactly what he was going to do to this field. Yes, it looked and then, exactly the same. Yeah, and then Hawker closes the last 100 in something like 12 flat or 12 low I saw. His final 100 meters to take the, the victory. He looked boxed with about 300 meters to go and navigated his way out. And Craig Ingalls was in a similar position where he got caught in the box and it took him much longer to navigate his way out. And when he finally made his move, there just wasn't enough time and enough speed left to get there. To the Hawker medal talk that you're already on, he certainly can kick with anyone. He will need the race to play out in this style once again, which as we know, it typically does. My initial impression though, Benji, is one of, does the inexperience catch up with him? We'll see. How does he work his way through the rounds to get there? That might in itself be a challenge. And is he just going to get put in a field with that many more guys who can kick? You know, if he gets on the line with, say, uh, Ingebrigtsen, if, if your boy, Jake the Snake, Jakob Ingebrigtsen gets out there, We've seen him kick that way to close a 5,000. What can he do at the end of closing a 15? So I'm going to say I think you might be a little premature. This might still be off in the future, but uh, that was a really, really impressive tactical race that Cole Hawker ran. So I do want to defend my statement surrounding the medal. Um, I was listening to the Sidious Mag podcast. Mm -hmm. um, where Kyle Merber 
friend uh, of the show friend of the show stopped olympian multiple time medalist bernard lagat in the parking lot after that 1500 final and asked him is hawker a medal contender and he didn't hesitate and said yes hmm. i'm gonna lean on the wisdom of kip i would say bernard lagat knows far more and has accomplished far more than I have or ever will, I will give you this sobering reminder. It's easy in the moment to get caught up in those perspectives. And as we step back a few days later, I can say, ah, let's pump the brakes a little bit because I'll tell you, I don't know. I don't even remember what time zone I was in at that point. I think I was somewhere maybe in the mountain or central time zone, but it was like a midnight race after the delay. That was my immediate thought, like, oh gosh, this guy might walk down anyone in the world right now. But we have to remember the other circumstances that will go into the race. We'll see. It would be, it would be phenomenal. I, I would love, love to have it. You saw the, uh, his friends in the crowd afterwards in the Your Move Centro t-shirts. Uh, there's been some fun social media back and forth. You sent me an, an interview that Centro did afterward that was fantastic. He was gracious. Uh, he was friendly. He, he was uh, endearing. I think they're going to help each other. The presence here pushes each man. And Centro, we know, has just come around again in the past couple months here. So don't sleep on him either. Uh, he is the defending gold medalist. All right, let's make it fun. The let's. way too early Tokyo predictions. Where does Cole Hawker finish? Does he make the final? Call it here, June 29th at 8.25 p.m. Eastern? Am I back in Eastern now? You are. I've, I've made it back to the Eastern time zone. Um, wow. We haven't seen anything to indicate that he is especially vulnerable. So I'll just, I'll go for it. I'll say he makes the final. I think he's going to run the rounds almost like a final. Yeah. And I say he makes the final and finishes seventh. That's fair. I think that'd be great. For yeah. 20 years old, still in college. Well, will, probably could be pro after this. We'll see. Uh, what, what's your pick? Yeah. I know I just said I think he has metal potential. I'm going to say he's the first man out fourth. Mm. Wow. That's almost mean of you. It, it really is. But I'm a pessimist. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ben, what was your favorite race from the week that maybe changes your opinion of where we're headed with the Tokyo games? Yeah. One race that excited me and I apologize for keeping it on men's events um, was the men's 800. Yes. Uh, seeing Clayton Murphy run what some people are calling. I, I don't know if there's proof or if they've done much research to this, the fastest negative split 800 of all time. He went 143-1, going 51-6, uh, 51-5. We saw several gear changes. He was patient. He looked like the guy who medaled in Rio. We're also sending a great squad behind him. With Isaiah Jewett, who is the new NCAA champion, new sub-144 guy. Um, and then Bryce Hopple, who returns after his fantastic performance at Worlds in 2019. Yeah, this was next on my list. I am maybe biased here because I was in the stadium for it. You don't often get 
the experience of a maybe quarter to third filled stadium because of the COVID restrictions being absolutely electric. But when Clayton Murphy came off that final turn, that place rose to its collective feet and it got loud and it got exciting. I meanwhile am just yelling out to no one in particular, Donovan Brazier is not going to make the team. Donovan Brazier is not going to make the team. I'm in total disbelief, not even enjoying what's actually happening at the front of the pack because several guys made their moves and Brazier just didn't have a response. And then I think realizing he didn't have a response kind of just shut it down a little at the end. There's people on him about finishing dead last, but he could have beaten some guys in my opinion. And, And he was, again, gracious in defeat and just said, some days you don't have it, but potentially the best guy in the world doesn't even make the team to reinforce, as you said, just how deep this is. That's an interesting point on the fastest potentially negative split 800 ever, because when we look at fastest 800s ever run, they they are not negative splits. They tend to have a very slight fade to them. The 800 tends to be the longest event at which that slight positive split works best uh, when we look at world records over time. As we move farther, 1,500 and farther, we start to see more even and negative splitting consistently. 51.5 on that second 400. I'd like to see, I don't know if we have a a breakdown by each 200. It'd be fun to look at uh, what he did in those middle 200s and then for the close, but Isaiah Jewett did exactly what he did at NCAAs. He went out hard, took it out on an honest pace, believed that this was the best tactic for him to advance. Ultimately, Murphy overcame a large gap, closed the way that we know Clayton Murphy to close. He is that powerful strength runner. There is a bit of Nick Simmons, Dave Waddle to the way Clayton Murphy runs best. And we've hinted at it over the past couple months. He started to show some life, but he is back. He's a metal threat because not just that he ran everybody down, but how fast he did it. He did it in a 143 low race. He takes the current world lead. He's got to feel as good as anyone about winning this. And I'm going to say, don't sleep on Bryce Hopple. I think Bryce Hopple still has as much chance as anyone to win the 800 meters in Tokyo. And I think he is, again, a legitimate medal threat. Thoughts, Benji? Yeah. You were mentioning those 200 splits for Clayton Murphy. Uh, Clayton did have one of the fast, not one of, Clayton had the fastest 200 meter split in the race of anybody. And it was his third 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his 200 meter splits were 25-6, 2606, 249, and then 265. Okay. 249 from the bell to the 600 meter mark, correct? Yes. Holy moly. That is that's spicy. He can scoot a little bit. Is he entering the games as the favorite? Yeah, I, I don't have anyone that I'm putting ahead of him right there's not an immediate name that i think is 
certainly better than him. I can't believe we're saying this after where we've been over the past couple of years. I'm, I'm super excited for him and happy to see it. I would like to look back. I don't know if we have the data and, and this is not for tonight, but at some point to look back on like Johnny Gray's American record and some of his fastest races, what did he split? Um, Cause I, I, believe he ran a couple of fairly fast negative split races but uh she's 51.5 to to close that thing is lights out because we know like if you take a radisha race he at london for example 2012 he went out so hard it, it was not a negative split this is that second lap is absolutely breathtaking to be in that stadium that was that was a phenomenal pick ben I will stay with the same night briefly. Again, having witnessed it in person, it feels a little different. That's Ellie Perrier in the 15, just going from the gun. She runs 358 for 1,500 meters. She was strong. She was in control. The subplot is Jenny Simpson doesn't make an American team for the first time in a decade plus. But Ellie Perrier now hyphen St. Pierre. I'm really excited about this again as it carries over to Tokyo because I look forward to seeing how she races in Tokyo. She's become really good at going out, asserting herself, and taking control. And I know this is maybe as compared to that men's 800, this is perhaps a a deeper international field that she's coming up against. Um, There's some women who are going to be in this race that are absolutely next level, but Olympic trials record. Now moving on into a really, really strong field. Is she a medal contender, Benjamin? I think she has to be. This race most likely is going to go out pretty hot at the games. Mm -hmm. And she is one of the few runners, I think, that is intelligent, intelligent enough to run her own pace in her own race. And she might clip that third place person that went with it, and they're coming back that last 200. I agree with you because her record here shows that she can stay near that pace. She can stay near enough to be in the mix. And then it just depends on what does she have left and or is someone working their way back to her. She's not the favorite, maybe as we asserted potentially about Clayton Murphy, but I do think she's a a medal contender as well. To rewind uh, briefly, Ben, before we go forward, I didn't get your prediction, men's 800. Who you got there? Is is Murphy going to win a gold? Do we have more than one medalist? What say you? Thank you for asking such a great question. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to go ahead and call it. Isaiah's out in the rounds. Okay. Bryce and Clayton both make the final. Clayton gets a medal barely, and Bryce is sitting fourth or fifth. That is almost exactly what I think will happen. I wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah advances just because I think he's going to stick with this tactic of going off the front and seeing how far through the rounds this can take him. It's dangerous, though, right, at this level. But I do agree with you to the final. I think Clayton Murphy is, again, a medalist. And I think Bryce Hopple's right on the fringe. I'm not going to be shocked if they go silver bronze or something like that. Um, But I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw them go, say, 3-5, maybe in in that range. Uh, So we're on the same page. What's your next race, bud? So before we 
go there. I do want to get yeah. a quick shout out in that women's 1500 to Grace Barnett, Please. who graduated from Clemson University. She's still chasing the dream. She's making Olympic trials finals and mixing it up with the best. And it's just awesome to see someone homegrown out there competing. And she ran a really good race. Again, like as I watched the 800 and was focused on Brazier, I was so dialed into Jenny Simpson in the last lap. And then I just saw Grace Barnett passing her and moving up and moving up. And she was maybe out of position to try to make the team the way the race unfolded. But she just kept picking people off and moving up. She had a, just a wonderful, wonderful performance. Uh, so kudos to, to Grace on her 1,500-meter final in Eugene. Okay, now give me your next one, bud. I have to say this is tough. I think there are a lot of performers of the meet in addition to good quality races. Uh, so the next race I'm going to go with is going to be all about a performer. Mm -hmm. uh, Rye Benjamin in yeah. the men's 400 hurdles coming within 0.05 of the American and world record. I believe that is the closest anyone has been to the record since 1992. Whew. And he ran that uncontested. Uh, the next person was 1.2 seconds behind him. We will get into this more as we break down the Olympics. We're going to try to do a lot of episodes where we get into them more day by day as the action unfolds. This may be the most excited that I am for any single event at the Olympics. The Rye Benjamin Karsten Warholm showdown and the men's 400 hurdles. Warholm has had his number the past couple years. They've been 1-2. It's very possible that we see a world record to get a gold medal in this event. Warholm is known for getting out hard. He's going to set a pace that if Rye Benjamin can close, sets him up to be the guy who hits that number. So that'll be absolutely dynamite. Uh, Rye, Rye Benjamin is a, both an elite athlete, but also an incredible personality. He's a lot of fun. He's easy to root for. And as you said, he did it pretty much solo. And that's just remarkable, remarkable performance from him. I will take you next to the other hurdle event because I'll say that men's high hurdles, Grant Holloway may be my favorite athlete on this Olympic team. He is, he's so fun to watch and just such a big personality and he is also hunting down a world record in the coverage actually before the, the final Otto Bolden just came out and said I think he's going to get the number right now didn't work out that way but every time he lines up there's a shot and part of what I love about this event is I believe we re-establish ourselves with medals I may have just said that plural, at the games, in the high hurdles. We, we did not take a medal in the 110s in, in 2016, and that was a huge disappointment. But Devin Allen looks to be back in form. We have Daniel Roberts, the star out of Kentucky. Of course, Grant Holloway is the favorite 
you know, we're leaving behind a couple guys who ran sizzling fast times. We haven't even mentioned yet Trey Cunningham, the, the youngster out of Florida State who finished fourth and ran some incredible numbers in the rounds. I'm going to book it right now. It is booked. It has happened. Grant Holloway wins gold. And I think we take another medal. I think we're going to take a bronze. We get two medals in the high hurdles. That are I'm going to feed two medals and raise you one. We're taking I'm all three? Calling, I'm calling the sweep. Man, that would be fantastic. And now you're kind of winning me over quickly here. Devin Allen finished second, but I'm not sure he has the most, the highest ceiling. I see him maybe more in the bronze. I wouldn't be surprised if, if performances are right that the other two go one-two. I agree. Devin agree? Allen is so close to Grant. In every SEC meet, pretty much always the bridesmaid. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he was confident in making this team and he's going to be technically sound uh, come Tokyo. And you're going to see him jump Devin. Yeah, I think you said Devin there twice. You meant first time you expect oh, to see. Because they're both you, Devin, right? Daniel. Daniel, right? Daniel. Excuse me. <laughs> so, this LaCroix. <laughs> so to clarify, you would go one, two, three in what order for the medals? I'm going to go Devin, Devin, Devin. <laughs> so I'm going to go Grant, Daniel, Devin. Okay, like it. I, I could very easily see that. Boy, that would be something special. That would be fantastic. It, Devin Allen is a great example of how fun it is. Cole Hawker was another when these Oregon guys run well in Eugene on a big stage. Devin Allen, of course, was a great football player there too, wide receiver. And to be back on his home track in the new Hayward, right, which is a venue without compare. I can't even begin to describe. For those of you who have been there before to the old stadium, it's unfathomable that they placed this new stadium on the same plot of land. It seems like it's four more city blocks in size. It is beautiful. Every view in the arena is exceptional. The track is clearly fast. I know we have good athletes, but they said they wanted to make sure this was the finest surface in the country or maybe the world. I can't recommend enough. Get out there. Go see a meet. World champs are going to be in Eugene next year. You have an opportunity to see the greatest in the world, the same people who we're going to watch in these Olympics coming up next month. We'll see them again next year in Eugene, Oregon, hopefully with a full house. If you have the chance, get there. Watch it. Get to NCAA champs at some point. Get to the next trials that are there. It is a track and field lover's absolute dream. And Benji, you know as well as anyone, I was in the vocal minority that did not want that old stadium torn down. I am an historian of the sport. I loved that venue. I have had the, the great good fortune of being at Hayward Field now three times, uh, which uh, you know, for someone from the opposite side of the country is a bit of a, a journey. This one in the new stadium, my last trip finishing on the track for the marathon in the old stadium and then as a spectator and, and my first experience there. 
It is a shrine to the sport once again, and it is certainly a global quality venue. It reminds me a lot of the great European soccer stadiums. Uh, that was a wild detour that I just took us on there. On I'll talk about shortly on a trip full of wild detours that I took across the country. You got one more you want to give us, Ben, that uh, you thought was uh, particularly significant? Well, I just went. Oh, well, no, I guess you pivoted off of mine. And did the... Yeah. Hey, go again, sweetie. It's your night. Golly, you're just the sweetest. I know. Man, this has been one of the highest quality meets I can remember mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Yes. So much to talk about. You know what? <laughs> I'm not too greedy. I'm really grateful to be here. I appreciate you offering me the last spot. I say, let's pivot, make it a little more fun for us. So this will be our little speed round. Mm. We're going to say our three honorable mention performances with no more than a sentence about each. Okay. Oh, gosh. This is so much pressure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can you start with the first one and get this going? Because there's so many we could go to. Hit me. Ryan Krauser, men's oh. world record after 21 years. <laughs> I, I had that reaction of trauma. As, it was as if I had been like shot with an arrow. Ryan Krauser was going to be my number one. I've gone way over a sentence already, but such is my loquacious style of performance here on the podcast. So in a sentence, Ryan Krauser's reaction as soon as he released the shot and knew I just threw a world record. Wow. That would be my next on, on the list of performances. So we're on the same page there. Uh, hit me with a second one. Goodbye, drug cheat Justin Gatlin. Mm. <laughs> Looked like, I didn't read into it afterward, a hamstring in the finals. Not that he was in position to make the team anyway. <laughs> Fred Curley in that event, who is like this elite level at the summit of the sport in the 400 and decides, ah, screw it. I'm running the hundo and the deuce. And he, he comes out and makes the team in the hundred. That was sensational. He, this was not my next one. They just, Fred Curley is just, uh, that man's from another planet. He's unreal. I'll give you my second one. Greenville's own Sandy Morris back on the stage in the pole vault. Absolutely. I'm trying to leave it to a sentence. It's hard. <laughs> I know. I, and it's, <laughs> just go ahead. What's your, what's your third one, brother? Burrito Track Club doubles. <laughs> okay. Can you explain that a little bit for everyone? Maybe, you, I don't know if everyone listened to the Burrito Gate episode last time or knows the full story of what that means. Just give us a little bit more if you could, Benji. So for those of you with your priorities not in order, who did not listen to the last episode of the podcast, uh, Shelby Houlihan, America's current greatest middle distance runner and arguably long distance runner as well, with tested positive for nandrolone, which is a performance enhancing drug. She has claimed that it was from a burrito that was contaminated by big organ. Mm. Um, her appeal was unsuccessful. They are taking it to a Swedish court now. Um, she is currently serving a four-year ban. So my statement 
comes from yes. the fact that we saw two, or excuse me, three of her Bowerman teammates make the Olympic teams in the 5K and the 10K. Yeah. The only athletes to perform in the distance event at that level in multiple events. We saw performances from them that, at least on the men's side, were a bit uncharacteristic of performance earlier this season and last year from in terms of competitiveness in the final stages of the race. I'm a big fan of Woody Kincaid, who is yeah. on that and had made the 10K and 5K. And I say that sentence I said because I feel for those three individuals. I want them to be clean. But at the same time, gosh dang it, it's suspicious. Well, it, it's easier now just to have questions. It raises questions. But Woody Kincaid was incredible. Of course, you had uh, Carissa, Carissa Schweitzer also uh, make the team in two events. Grant Fisher. We want to believe in these athletes. And I, I think there is hope and a space to do it. As we saw, Matt Centrowitz came out and vehemently defended Shelby Houlihan, which was interesting and uh, I guess maybe encouraging to see given their close relationship in the past. I, I hope we don't paint with too broad a brush and assume that because one was caught uh, that other teammates are doing the same. Uh, we don't know, of course, <laughs> if her reasoning for that positive test is true or false, but uh, it's certainly easier to get suspicious about the Bowerman Track Club, BTC, Bowerman Track Club, or as you said now, Burrito Track Club, post-Burrito Gate. But they were really, really good in those distance events. We went off on that burrito tangent, and I just totally lost track of my third one. Here we go. It's coming back to me. Down to a sentence, I guess I have to do. Women's. 200 meter explosive. Gabby Thomas ah, celebrating the last like 20 meters, maybe would have run a world record. She looked like she found another gear. The sprint races are often about who decelerates the least at the end. That's the name of the game in sprinting, especially the 100. Those last 20, 30 meters, it's about who decelerates the least, not who picks up, but and she found a gear. Jenna Prandini is also a legitimate threat now. That's a tough event when we get to Tokyo. So getting more than one medalist may be a reach, but that was one of those that as I watched, I thought, oh yeah, something special is happening right here. Allison Felix gets left out just outside the mix, but she makes the team in the 400. So we get to see Allison Felix one more time at now, uh, what is she, Benji? 35, 36 years old. Uh, still looks strong. We went through this whole list. It's just now registering with me. We've gone through this whole list. We've been in the field. We've been in distance. We've been in sprint. We've been in men. We've been in women. And neither of us mentioned the one world record that actually happened this past week. Sid the Kid, Sidney McLaughlin, goes under 52 seconds in the 400-meter hurdles, the first woman ever to do so. She is, of course, now the favorite in Tokyo. We saw her in Rio as a high schooler for, nay, five years ago, since we're in 21 now. We've gone through like 10 events and we didn't even mention it. And that's how good this Olympic trials was. Do yourself a favor, fan of the sport.
tune in to NBC for the Tokyo coverage. Because if we see stuff half as good as what we just saw, you're going to be one, exceptionally proud of a great group of athletes, and two, certainly entertained. One last point on the trials, and then I'll leave it to you. I did not have a problem with the heat delay. I know that received some attention. I think it's good that so many of these events were run in some fairly serious heat because we can expect that in Tokyo in a month. They did the right thing by not running in the worst of it on Sunday, that would have been. Uh, they moved up uh, a women's distance event Saturday as well. But maybe they could have, knowing what was coming, moved everything up to the morning on Sunday, and then you're still in that midday television window for a lot of the country, especially out east. With that said, everybody raced under the same conditions. This is the beauty of championship racing. It's not about what time you can run, but it's how you respond to the conditions in which you're placed. We see it tactically in races again and again, and it's who mentally prepared herself or himself best for this delay where now I'm running or jumping six hours later than I expected. I know it's a challenge, but handling it and moving forward is part of being a champion. And that's a good sign for the people who made it as to how they might handle adversity when they get to Tokyo. Last thoughts on the trials for you, Ben? I just think the trials were a lot of fun. It was exciting. I think it was exactly what Phil Knight was anticipating when he built that stadium. It gets me excited for the world championships being in Eugene uh, and the future of American track and field. The coverage was fantastic. I enjoyed them bringing in Kara Goucher to commentate yeah. on these races. Yeah, and I, I'm looking forward to the continuation of this improved coverage. One big shout out I have to give to them, to NBC, that they have done so wrong in the past and they fix for these trials is in every distance race, they cut away to focus on something else going on because, oh, distance is boring. They did not do this. They finally copied Zoom, did the split screen deal. Maybe that's the one thing we got out of 2020 is we learned that two screens can be on one screen. But it was fantastic coverage, and they deserve high praise for the job they did. Yeah, I agree. I understand that advertising dollars are why this is on television, and we just have to live with that. Particularly in the 10,000 meters, a race that lasts 30 minutes. Heck, we haven't even mentioned Emily Sisson, trials record in the women's 10,000. Again, it just this goes, oh my gosh, it goes so deep. The way she closed, like she started to look like a medal contender. What redemption from not making the marathon team. We could go on all night, Benji, but in a race that's 30 minutes long, you're gonna have to break to commercials. And we know that the casual observer doesn't get a whole lot out of what's happening 3,000 meters into a 10K. But split screening it, keeping the action on so that we know when moves happen. So that's, the, that's my problem with leaving the coverage for the advertising is there's often a breakaway, a move that we miss, and we have no idea what just happened. That allows you to stay engaged. The guys like us, we're just locked in for 30 minutes watching the whole thing. So yeah, I agree. Kudos there. Kudos to Kara Goucher. What a meet. I made the trip because our friend, James Quattlebaum, uh, also a friend of the show, guest here after he broke four minutes a couple years ago, 
made his uh, Olympic trials appearance in the 3,000 meter steeplechase. He was uh, also fortunate enough to run at the Olympic marathon trials last year in Atlanta. So a little bit of range shown there over the course of his past couple seasons. It was a, a true privilege to uh, watch someone who we know and care about on that track. It, it was not the, uh, the race that he had hoped for. He struggled that day. But being there is truly an exceptional accomplishment. And it gave me a heck of an excuse to load up in the car and say, listen, flights are expensive, rental cars are expensive, hotels are expensive. I'm driving across the country. So I want to give people a little taste of the experience and then recommend some places to see and to run when you are out in that part of the world because uh, I ran all over the place. I, I can't even remember half of it, but I'll give you the, the good pieces. I absolutely busted butt to get out there because I was on a tight window and I had to make sure I got there for James race. That could have been a little concerning. I had this thought in my mind, I have his extra spikes in my car with me. Something's going to happen with his other spikes. He's going to need them. And I'm going to roll into the stadium at like 4.30 for his 4.35 race. But I got there a day plus early and on the way out just drove hard. So I didn't get to see a whole bunch. I put on my Strava log, I think the biggest accomplishment of my running career this year was uh, driving from like Columbia, Missouri to Boise, Idaho in a day. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, it was, that was rough. That was, of course, you gain an hour time zones. They're a great thing when you're headed west, but they bite you in the butt coming back. I think there was like about 18 hours of driving that day solo, just me and, and uh, a lot of podcasts on the way out, a lot of learning, becoming a better man finding oneself on the road to Eugene. But we got there, and although it's hot, I know we have a lot of listeners upstate, western North Carolina, you're not dealing with that same humidity. It's an absolutely great place to run in the summer because particularly in the mornings, it's a whole lot cooler. So some epic runs. Obviously, if you go to Eugene, you want to hit Pree's Trail, just the sentimental experience in Alton Baker Park. But I will give you uh, my recommendations on a couple places to get great workouts and some great sights in Eugene. That was one thing we did on the runs. While I was in Eugene, of course, I had some people with me there I met up with, including our friend of the show, former Paris Mountain Trail record holder, who you brought down from his lofty perch, James Brooks. We did, James and I did a, a couple fantastic runs. One is Amazon Trail at Amazon Park at the south end of town. Packed dirt wood chip trail. A little actually easier running surface if you needed to run fast compared to Priest Trail. It is known for having a one mile loop and a 1K loop that are marked. Um, I guess it would be every, every 100 meters they have markers there. Just has to be a phenomenal place to work out. I know that Oregon guys have worked out there for decades. We looked up the Strava segment on the, the mile there for the workouts, and there were a couple current and recent Oregon guys up pretty high. I think the, the mile segment there is like 411, which on that surface is oh that's pretty, pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah. But it connects then with a trail along the creek that kind of makes a U where you can get another four or five miles. Again, all on this beautiful soft surface. So if you wanted to run long or if you want to do a workout out in Eugene, 
get Amazon into it. Uh, it's worth the time spent. And then the place that we ran that we loved was up Skinner's Butte, which looks up uh, from over top over the city of Eugene. So JB and I got up at 4 a.m. because out there in the summer, the sun rises so early and sets so late given its parallel being farther north and being near the summer solstice. It's like a five early 5-ish a.m. sunrise. So I did some hill reps, summer of hills, Skinner's Butte, the whole way up is like three quarters of a mile, a very manageable grade. A great place to do longer hill reps, but then you get to look out over the whole city, which is phenomenal. See the sunrise. It was kind of a cloudy morning. We didn't get the best sunrise, but it was worth the trip. It's also a place that uh, it appears in the evenings. The locals like to uh, visit to smoke a certain substance that might be more legal on the West Coast than it is in other parts of the country. At least that's what I'm told. I. There was a smell in the air, but uh, who am I to know? It's the smell of nature. <laughs> yes, it was. It was, it was the sell, smell of sweet success. It was great for me training, trying to run up the, the hill through this. But that's an awesome spot. I found just this random bike path along the Willamette River going east out of Eugene through Springfield that connected to some dirt trails that took me off through the woods into these orchards that were just incredible. So I looked into it. There was a ranch, historic ranch that is preserved there along the river as part of the park system uh, where you could run around these orchards, uh, hazelnut orchards, soft surface, just dynamite. There's so many spots there. The, the spot to beat all spots, Benji, that I went has to be Forest Park in Portland. Man, how about those pictures? Uh, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, just... You're sitting up above Portland, but you're like a mile from downtown. You're looking out over the city into the mountains, Mount Hood off in the distance, and you have dozens and dozens and dozens of miles of dirt. The foresight to protect that for posterity. The, the city leaders had a vision there. If you want single track trail, Wildwood is incredible. I think it's like 30 miles long. I, I did a huge segment of that. If you've ever watched the University of Portland workout Wednesday on flow track, they go out to the park. They use Leaf Erickson Drive, which is a wider, more like a dirt road. Uh, another really long place, exceptional running. It is rolling. Uh, depending on what trail you use, you can get some decent climbs. But uh, Leaf Erickson looks like you could attack it a little more, you know, if it was a, a tempo day, something like that. So awesome spot. Bozeman, Montana, Benjamin. Have you been out to Bozeman, Montana? I have not been out to Bozeman. How about you and I take a little trip? Maybe you leave the wife at home, a <laughs> little, bro, little bro time in Montana. Uh, Bozeman, I think, could be an awesome running city. It's got a, a feel of like a poor man's boulder, poor man's flagstaff. You're at about, I think I was about 5,000 feet. Nice dirt trails, like just in the city even. There was a connector dirt trail right through the city. It's got a cool little main street. I went to a Bozeman Running Company. Shout out to the good folks at Bozeman Running Company. I bought a t-shirt back. They had a cool logo with the uh, state of Montana outline and some elk antlers on it. But 
they gave me some spots to run a trail map outside of town. So you get up higher and then there's some great trails. Again, great sunsets that you can see because you're surrounded by rivers and mountains. That's a cool little town, university town, Montana State's there. Somebody who is looking for a great place to train and picking a college is going to go to Montana State and enjoy the heck out of that experience. I can't recommend it enough. So Bozeman is a great running town. So shall we dub our trip out there the summer of Brosman? You rascal. Uh, I believe it shall be. Clearly, based on all the circuitous and serpentine routes I took, I have plenty of time. I'll spend a whole summer out there if you want to. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho had great trails around a lake, huge lake that this kind of, it's kind of a resortish retirement style community, I think, that... Um, it is in the Panhandle in northern Idaho, just east of Spokane, Washington, less than an hour from Spokane, wedged in between Montana and Washington. Uh, but there were trails at the park there at, I believe it's called Tubbs Hill. Uh, and then you could do a larger, they have a hiking loop around the uh, lake that was miles long. So that, that's an awesome spot as well. I have to now step aside from this, from the running perspective of this for a minute and talk about an experience I had on a hike at Devil's Tower in Wyoming. I pulled in and asked the uh, park ranger, what's the hike you recommend? What should I do? And he said, hit Joiner Trail. But remember, anyone who asks me, I tell them the same thing. So it might be really busy up there. Well, fortunately, everybody went to the, the hikes out of the visitor center and Joiner Trail is a dirt road. You have to take off to get to it. And I think there were one or two other cars up there and had a loop that was maybe a little less than two miles. It would be runnable if the park's not busy. Definitely a runnable loop. Incredible spot. It was, I felt like the place that I really exceeded my expectations on this trip. And I'm walking out, I'm maybe a quarter to half mile out from the trailhead. And I come across a photographer who's just sitting, kind of enjoying the landscape. And he's got his camera set up on a tripod and it's just clicking off shots on a timer. And he's just letting it roll, taking a bunch of pictures uh, of this rock landscape. I said hi briefly, moved on. And I got maybe a hundred meters down the trail and sitting right off the trail, there's a guy just sitting down, just gaze on, locked in on Devil's Tower. I said hi and asked him how he was doing. And uh, he said, gosh, with what I'm looking at right now, how could I be any better? And I said, yeah, dude, it, I mean, this is it's pretty epic, right? Asked him where he was from. He asked me the same. And we, not too far apart where we grew up, and asked me about, you know, what my trip was like. And I said, man, I've been driving all over. I've been in Oregon. You know, we started going through all these places. He's asking me about Crater Lake and, and other spots that I'd been to. And I asked him about his journey and Benji, his story was so impactful to me. I've been looking so forward to sharing it here with everyone. He introduced himself to me, said his name, Stephen Johns, and that he used to be a professional hockey player. Uh, so I, I looked it up and, and Stephen had just recently retired. He played for the Dallas Stars in the NHL. And he told me about his background, concussions, it seemed, had ended his professional hockey career. And now in deciding what to do next, he uh, felt the call to raise awareness for mental health 
it's certainly an issue at the forefront of modern American society. Uh, we've touched on it here some before. I know it came up a lot in the episode of what running did for transforming Cosmo's life. This is a, a world that uh, unfortunately brings anxieties on itself. We do this to one another. And uh, Stephen is an inspiration to me in reminding us how we need to care and, about and love one another so that we all can live happy, healthy, productive lives. He chose to leave from his home near Pittsburgh and rollerblade across the country. What? Yeah. The photographer I passed was the former videographer uh, with his hockey team who decided to go on the trip with him. They are chronicling that path across the country. I'm not a social media guy, but for those of you who are, I looked it up. I believe it is at S.T. Johns on the Twitter machine and on the Gram as well, I believe. And they have just remarkable pictures of what they've been through. And you know, he told me about the beauty he had seen, and he said, oh, and then I got to South Dakota. Uh, and then I got to Badlands, which is where I was headed next. He said, it's just going to take your breath away. And he was right. Badlands is incredible. Badlands also has, if you get there in the parks, uh, relatively empty, you make a little climb up and there's like a four or five mile trail that is really flat and very runnable as well. Uh, be a great trail run spot. Uh, I just did some hiking there that was remarkable. So Benji looked it up. What I gave you is his Twitter handle. His Instagram handle is at S underscore Johns 28, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, so check him out. Give him a follow. I think you'll love what you see. I, last I saw, I, I've just been following it on the internet a little bit. Last I saw was a picture of him rollerblading through Yellowstone. They've been on the road for a while now. They're headed farther west, so there's still plenty of time to follow along. And, and it's it's a beautiful cause that he's uh, doing this for. That day, seeing Devil's Tower, Mount Rushmore, and the Badlands, meeting him was just a, a beautiful reminder of how vast and immensely breathtaking the landscape is, the places that I was, uh, the things I saw where you can feel at once both insignificant because of the size and scope of what we're all a part of, but simultaneously incredibly significant in knowing that you're connected to all of that. And it was also a reminder of the beauty of the people who are in our lives. To just randomly say hello to a guy and strike up a conversation and realize the journey that he is on and, and the admirable path he is taking and trying to help someone else out. He epitomized it, but there were people all along the way like this. Uh, you know, when you're taking a road trip like this solo, and while I was in Eugene, I was with people, but on the way back, I'm just kicking around, bouncing from city to city and state to state. And I'm going out of my way to talk to people. And now I, <laughs> I had a waiter at a restaurant in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I wish I could remember the name of the place. I think it was called like Farm to Fork. They had a nice avocado toast with poached egg. I had a waiter 
who was such a, a great man, he made a mistake on someone else's order. And the first thing he did was took responsibility and apologized and said, I'll make it better. We had a great conversation, just a nice guy. And I told him at the end, I said, you know what? I appreciate your humility. It's so easy for us. We've all done it to make excuses, but just on something small like that, there's just so much hope. There's so much beauty. No one showed that to me again better than, than Stephen. So Stephen, if you're listening, we're going to send this to you, brother. Uh, we're now internet friends. So if, if you are listening. We have a singlet with his name on it. I think we need to get this man a singlet. That's right. He is, uh, he's a power guy. I think he'd maybe be in throws or in the sprints. Thank you to him uh, for, for the inspiration. It made for a beautiful day. One of my last nights ended in uh, the Door County Peninsula in northern Wisconsin, out over the lake for sunrise. God, the, the, the colors, the beauty on the water. Go see it. Just get out there. Live. That was, that was a comment Stephen made about get outside, experience, live. And, and I, I can't echo it with any greater significance. It, go do it. And just remember that, that sun sets and every day leads to a sunrise. And we are going to face challenges. The sun is going to set on our runs. It's going to set on our racing. We're going to have bad workouts. You might think you had one today. I know Benji does. But there's perspective in knowing there's a sunrise tomorrow. There's a next run. There's a next chance at greatness. The voyage home on a 6,986-mile road trip. 21 states. 15 days. Uh, it was uh, a wonderful reminder. Whew. Okay, now before I get caught up in some sort of emotion here, Ben, we are up against the clock. I know that you are soon to make dinner for your lovely wife. What's on the menu? Uh, I am grilling hamburgers and ovening fries. I love it. I wish I could be there with you. At least I'm in the same time zone again. We can eat dinner at the same time. That sounds delicious. Thanks so much for joining us, Benjamin. I love your insight on the trials. You were locked in this whole week, buddy. You did great work. We're going to be bringing you back. There's a lot of Olympic talk still to happen. Thanks to everyone for listening. It is secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, show ideas, training ideas, please, we'd love to answer those questions. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, review if you enjoy the content. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Mile 90. Benji, last words of wisdom for the people? Sun rises tomorrow. That's right, brother. Looking forward to it. Okay, we will see everybody next time right here on Seconds Flat. Have a great week. Bye.